Hello, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. My name's Ali Maxwell. Sitting opposite me today is George Ellick. And it's the international break, which means no championship action, but hell of a weekend across League One and League Two. We're going to be breaking down some of the major stories. And there's been more stories breaking really over the weekend and as we are here on Monday morning as well. Managerial news, the sacking of Dino Mamria at Stevenage, the imminent departure of Danny Cowley and his brother Nicky, of course, the management team at Lincoln, who look to be heading to Huddersfield. We're going to get into all of that. George, focusing on on-pitch matters to start with, Wickham are the league leaders in League One. Definitely didn't think we'd be saying that back in August, uh, back in July, perhaps. But they are, and they've got a very good team, and they beat a very good Lincoln team 3-1 on the weekend. What did you think about that game and about Wickham as league leaders? (sighs) Yeah, you're right that it's a surprise, I guess. Um, I mean, the game itself was pretty bonkers, um, where, I mean, Joe Joe Jacobson has been given the hat-trick. For any of you who haven't seen it, I'd recommend looking it up because it's it's scoring direct from two corners and, it must be said, a very good direct free kick. Um, the free kick was the opening goal in the, in the 3-1 win. And it made me think, in in sport, are there any other... From scoring from a corner, basically, if you score from a corner, you've you've kind of messed up what you're trying to do. It, it's a bad kick in, in the realms of football. <laughs> and yet you get you can sometimes get rewarded by a goal. I don't think there are very, very many occasions where you can do something badly from a set play in any sport, which can then result in a goal. But, um, you know, the, the... Well, I think he meant the second one. Do you? Yeah. I'm going to give him the second one. I definitely don't think okay. he meant the second one. Especially after you've already got one. I mean, I don't think you're going to start shooting when you're just 2-1 up against Lincoln. But great, great video on the Wickham... Uh, the Wickham Wanderers Twitter page this morning of a, a, a sort of reverse angle where the crowd are shouting shoot as he stands <laughs> over the corner uh, and of course he floated it into the top next corner next you're going to tell me they sucked it in from behind the goal um, <laughs> but you know I mean it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic result for them um, I think it's, it's a disappointing one for Lincoln who are going to look back on, on this week just gone as, as probably quite a uh, you know a a bit of a turning point in their um, in their future, given that it looks at the time of recording like we're waiting for a, an imminent announcement from Huddersfield Town that the Cowley brothers will be going there um, to take on the role vacated by Jan Sievert. Um, so I think in the grand scheme of things, this result for Lincoln is um, pretty irrelevant because that's going to be the, the thing that, that changes their course um, in some way. Um, of course, they could get in a manager who's has a similarly positive impact, but um, but that's a difficult one for them. But massive credit to Wickham, as you say, when, when you've got a team who, you know, we had them one place outside the playoff, the, the relegation spots in our uh, predictions. And that felt like we were saying, yeah, job well done for Gareth Ainsworth again by keeping them up. So to have them in, in top spot, um, you know, Ainsworth said after... Uh, in his post-match interview that it's I think he kind of you often hear managers downplaying league position and the like but he was very keen to to play it up and to say how amazing it was that they're mm. there um, whether or not they can stay there I, I, I probably doubt it but uh, but a fantastic start anyway well it's their highest ever league position uh, I was at the game with the Quest team on Saturday and I mean partly helped by the fact that it was a, a glorious afternoon and you have that Quite nice setting, although you do have to drive through the industrial estate to get there. You do have the the rolling hills uh, behind one of the stands, and it was a it was a brilliant afternoon. The atmosphere was amazing before the game, and and actually it because of what happened with Lincoln's goal, uh, the most 
confusing bit of refereeing I, I can think of, really, uh, that I've seen certainly this season. Sometimes you get penalty decisions that look terrible because maybe they've they, they've been deceived by a dive or they've just simply think they've seen something that they haven't seen. What I haven't seen very often is a referee, as we know, such sticklers for the laws of the game, as they call them, um, the rules of the game, as, as normal people might call them. And um, and one of the big ones, which I think we all recognise now, uh, is that you stop the game for a head injury. Uh, you certainly stop the game for two head injuries. And yet, uh, after a couple of players, including Matt Bloomfield, clashed following a set piece for Lincoln, uh, with two players down, prone in the six-yard box, with the referee quite clearly taking one quick look and then one much longer look, uh, putting the whistle seemingly towards his mouth and then thinking, actually, let's see what happens from uh, from George Grant's cross and John Akinde being played onside by the prone Matt Bloomfield who was stretched off in a neck brace, uh, tapping home. It, it, uh, it was remarkable to not have blown the whistle. It was remarkable not to disallow the goal after it had gone in and pretty remarkable in general. Would, so you, that- be, would you be allowed to do that? What? He, he could blow the whistle. No, no, no. Isn't disallowed to disallow the goal? On what, on what grounds would it be? I reckon he could have blown his whistle basically as Akinde wheeled away and sort of brought the play back. I don't know. I think he probably could. Well, I think because then you're reacting, you're reacting to a goal being scored. I mean, th- there's no legitimate reason for the goal not to count. I mean, it's, it's a referee mistake not to stop the play. Yeah, but even if he's admitting an error and saying, sorry, I let you play that on, but I'm pulling it back, that's better than just doubling down on your mistake. But then, but I, I still don't know what the, infringe- what the infringement is. It's not an infringement. It's a, it's a medical reason know, to course, stop the game. But, but he's stopping the game after the goal's been scored because he knows he's made a mistake. I, th- I think that would have opened up more worms. Both managers angry. But. Fine. I think everyone would have accepted the right decision would have been made personally. But um, look, Wickham have a good team. Uh, they, they played well in this game. They're a side who, uh, once they go ahead, because they are so well organised and they have a good, strong defensive structure, it was going to be difficult for Lincoln to get back in the game. Uh, just as, to be honest, I think if Lincoln had scored the first goal, Wickham might have struggled to to, to cut that deficit back. So uh, I think that was always going to be important, the first goal, and, and Jacobson's left foot made the difference. But a very hard-working midfield three. Uh, Nick Freeman looks like a really nice player in midfield. He's getting more chances now. He's He's built his career through non-league and just signed a, a new long-term contract with Wickham. And he just looks uh, like a really tidy player and a nice addition to this team. I guess in terms of Wickham being top of the league, you know, they have played the bottom three teams so far. Uh, and it's actually games against South End that they just about won 4-3, having been 3-1 down. And Wimbledon away were probably their poorest performances of the, of, of the season so far. And if they're to stay up here, those are the games that they need to, to get better at when they are expected to win, favourites to win. That's when we'll start to, to recognise whether this Wickham team have, have longevity, you know, towards the top half of the table, towards the, the very top of the table. But really impressive start to the season. Um, and, and Lincoln, from what I saw, uh, and as you mentioned, it's sort of irrelevant now if Danny Cowley's leaving, but it did look like a big removal uh, in terms of style of play from what made them so successful last season. We've talked about the change of style quite a lot. Um, but to have Andrade... Payne and George Grant behind Tyler Walker. I mean, it's that's a real sort of football manager front four, isn't it? It looks brilliant, skillful players, good attacking players, but they couldn't really get them on the ball. Um, George Grant saw a fair bit of it, but Payne and Andrade were very quiet. Uh, and once Wickham went ahead, Lincoln couldn't get in behind them, and that kind of looked like the only time they were going to be really dangerous. So uh, a, a poor performance from them. Just on, on Cowley going to Huddersfield... Um, a lot of people can't understand it. 
George, they say, you've got a really good thing at Lincoln. You've already taken them up twice. You're, you're heading in the right direction. You have a real strong bond and link to the area. Um, and also be careful because they might chuck out the names Nathan Jones or even Paul Hurst and say, you know, the grass isn't always greener. That's that's a take that you're somewhat frustrated with. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, we, we spoke to Paul Hurst about it, or, or you did at least in the interview. I don't think Paul Hurst or Nathan Jones, even if Nathan Jones is sacked tomorrow, I don't think either of them would, would regret making the move. I mean, they, they saw it at the time as an opportunity to further their career. The fact that it didn't go, didn't work out the way they wanted to, didn't mean that the, de- the decision itself was wrong. I don't disagree um, with people saying that, you know, that, that Cowley has, the Cowley brothers have to be slightly, slightly careful here. Huddersfield are a team who have won you know, one game in nearly 12 months um, in all competitions. Uh, the squad looks completely unbalanced. All, all that is definitely true. But at the same time, for whatever reason, the Cowley brothers will obviously know the limit that they think they can take Lincoln towards. I think that you know, Gareth Ainsworth is another manager who I think should probably, if he has the possibility to, cash in his chips fairly soon because the job they're doing now and how high their stock is is very impressive. It wouldn't massively surprise me to see Danny Cowley taking Lincoln up into the championship and if he did do that then there would be jobs um, available to him that, that would probably be more attractive than the Huddersfield job um, but I think going to Huddersfield he uh, talking to Michael Appleton about what he looked for in a job he was speaking about the owners themselves the structure of the club and there might just be a reason why Cowley feels like Huddersfield is the one for him we've seen in the past that um, that the managers there have been given time I know Sievert wasn't but you're looking at, at previous managers before that and the new strategic director as well who none of us have any idea about we have no idea what he sold Cowley um, the only thing that would strike me as slightly strange is that Cowley seemed to have decided at the back end of last week that it wasn't the job for him and mm. whatever's happened in three days since seems to have changed his mind but I think anyone who's saying it's it's a great move um, I don't really see how you could say that but at the same time I don't think you could also say that he's made a mistake doing this it's going to be really interesting to see how they get on um, but he t- he's always talked quite a lot about resources uh, in his Lincoln role, certainly more so than ever since they've been in League One. Uh, and, uh, you know, one thing that Huddersfield do have in spades, even over, let's say, Sheffield Wednesday, who we're led to believe he was linked with. We're not quite sure how close he got to that job last week. But, you know, the, the, the fact is that Huddersfield have this season received a huge chunk of parachute payment money. Next season, they will receive another chunk of parachute payment and money and the season after as well. So in, in, in those terms, he's walking into a completely different job with so much more uh, money to work with, quite frankly. And, you know, we always remember the fact that Danny and his brother, Nicky Cowley, were only full-time football managers uh, three years ago now, up until that point when they'd been mar- managing Concord Rangers and Braintree, uh, they were PE teachers in Essex. Uh, and uh, and this, as has been noted by the Stacey West, which is a, a prominent Lincoln City blog, while they recognise that this is very tough for, for the Lincoln fans to take, this is a move that will make Danny and Nicky Cowley very wealthy and very secure going forward, which I'm sure they weren't poorly paid at Lincoln, but this is a, a different stratosphere. So uh, it'd be very interesting to see how things turn out there and who Lincoln turned to uh, in the meantime, of course. Um, I think you know. there's also quite a nice, it's pretty quite good for them. They're taking over Huddersfield at such a low ebb because in a similar way to, to Nathan Jones last season at Stoke, they, they've got a bit of a free hit here. I think we can all expect them to get enough out of this Huddersfield team to, to stave off relegation to League One. Um, so they've got 
the best part of a year to assess the squad to make the changes they need, they need to in January and, and build towards a summer next season because no one's going to expect them to get towards the playoffs are they so in that in that sense uh, coming in now is almost good timing start thinking about in league one terms who is uh, who's another manager or managers that uh, that might if they keep going on the current trajectory start being very interesting prospects to, to teams at a higher level and one of them could be Mark Robbins, George. It sounds a little strange. I, I don't think the perception of him is quite in line with the job that he's doing at, at Coventry City. And I don't know if that's because of his career as a whole, but uh, he his Coventry team were bullied by Blackpool in the opening half an hour at St Andrews on the weekend. 2-0 down to two Sully Kai Kai goals. Uh, one of them, I don't think he meant. One of them, uh, the other one was a good finish. I think you do want to give him the, the credit and he certainly is a, a fantastic and skillful player but um, uh, Coventry came back uh, 3-2 winners the winning goal scored by Callum O'Hare on loan from Aston Villa the Villa loanee causing absolute scenes in the home end at St Andrews of course which is a, a slightly ironic quirk of, uh, of Coventry playing their home games at St Andrews this season he's looking absolute quality uh, and Coventry as a whole George um, it, it, it strikes me that they they're looking quite ominous this year they look well, they just look a lot stronger than last season already. And last season, they were just outside the playoff places. Yeah, it's a very different commentary to last season, I would say. Um, you know, having seen them being outplayed and outfought in a three-all draw midweek um, beforehand, I wasn't. I went into the game expecting Oxford to have a tough time against Coventry and for Coventry to look quite clearly the better team. And that wasn't the case. I was really disappointed with them. Um, and I worry that uh, away from home, that could be something we get used to. Home advantage, of course. Um, we were worried before the season started whether that would have any impact them playing their games at St Andrews, but they've started very, very well at home. Four out of four. Four out of four, exactly. So there looks like there's no real concerns there. Um, I would just... I mean, last season they were... And, and also in the promotion season from League Two, what you could say about Coventry was that they were very, very solid. I mean, they, they weren't scoring many goals. They weren't conceding many goals either. Um, so I'm a little bit concerned that they may be conceding a few more this season on the back of you know the two goals conceded against Blackpool the, the three goals conceded against Oxford as well so maybe that's a, a slight worry for me that they may have changed the uh, in order to, to kind of open teams up more going forward they've had to sacrifice some solidity at the back and and as I say I, I wasn't particularly impressed with them uh, midweek but that to come back from 2-0 down the way they did really really impressive and as you say Robbins is doing such a good job there. I, I think he, even before um, the job he, he's doing now at Coventry, is a manager who has rarely got the credit he deserves. He did a good job at Coventry the first time round, which earned him a chance at Huddersfield where he didn't perform badly. Um, it's just a very different Huddersfield three or four years ago to the one we're used to now. Mm. Um, had a, a pretty poor time at Scunthorpe, um, but he's never, I mean, he's never done a bad job. He's never been sacked in disgrace, if that makes sense. And he's a guy who I think is continuing to improve and yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of his and, and what he's done there. And, and as you say, they've got enough attacking talent. I mean, their front three, um, really, really impressive. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think it's in midfield as well, where I noticed this weekend that they've got a lot, of, a lot more depth and a lot of quality as well. Uh, a bit of a selection headache, actually, upcoming for, for Robbins because Callum O'Hare, uh, on loan from Villa, as mentioned, he was with Carlisle second half of last season and... He's a player that, that gives a lot of skill and energy and, and drive really through the centre of midfield um, as a, a attacking number eight or a number 10. Uh, a re, a, 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 just a player that looks very, very comfortable at this level. A player who 
you might think has taken some tips off Jack Grealish at some point uh, in his Villa career. Uh, but he was he, he was only coming off the bench, so he's got a bit of decision to make whether O'Hare comes in from the start. Zane Westbrook has, has deputised brilliantly for Tom Bayliss this season. Uh, he signed over a year ago now from Brentford B, where he was captain, and he looks now to be ready to, to sort of start playing senior football. Shipley is a really popular player with Coventry, uh, both the staff and the fans, good box-to-box players, both of them. Uh, and you've got Jamie Allen, who they signed from Burton, uh, who actually has the number eight shirt, but hasn't featured yet because he's been out with injury. So he's returning as well. Uh, and at the base of midfield, Liam Kelly has always been absolutely key to everything Coventry have done in the last two, three seasons. Uh, but it was Liam Walsh, who's on loan from Bristol City, uh, another talented player, a bit more of a ball player than Kelly, possibly not as good as a screener, possibly not as good uh, in, in, in duels, but had a good game against Blackpool. Once Coventry sees control of that game, Walsh is the person you want at the base of midfield if you're having a lot of the ball with his passing range and ability and vision. So uh, a good start for him and, and tough for Robbins to pick three uh, to start in, in their next few games. Uh, this was a kind of tough result, really, on Blackpool. They didn't play poorly in general, uh, but to, th- to throw a 2-0 lead uh, is obviously a slightly worrying sign. Some really sloppy pieces of individual defending let them down there. So uh, and, and also the winning goal did come when they were down to 10 men because of an injury. Uh, George, Donny are possibly flying under the radar a little bit because they've only played five games. Um, games against Berry and Bolton, of course, haven't been fulfilled, uh, but it's been a brilliant start in the five games they have had. 11 points, unbeaten, in seventh place. Uh, Darren Moore, despite a lot of things going against the club over the summer in terms of personnel that left both the manager and players, of course, Loney's returning and John Marquis. But he's doing a fantastic job uh, in this early stage. Yeah, a big substitution here. A player who made a big impact with Niall Lennis coming off the bench on loan from Wolves. Uh, a young striker who scored a fantastic goal early on in the season against Lincoln. Uh, came off the bench here for Keziah Sterling, who is having another loan spell where he's struggling to make a huge impact. Um, but early days, of course, for, for the Tottenham Loney. And Ennis set up the first goal, won the penalty for, for the second goal as well. He looks like a really exciting player, someone who's got a little bit of everything, um, a bit of a bit of you know skillful on the ball, a good finisher, and, and a bit of pace to get away from men as well. So, and this is you know this is a, an impressive win for them. I mean, the goal that Rotherham scored was a fluke goal. It was a it was a cross in from uh, from Hasty. Do we call him? Jenny, don't be hasty. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's his full name. Um, Jakey, don't be hasty. Uh, yeah, with where it kind of evaded the. Uh, it was a cross. That evaded all the all the runners and crept in at the back post so you can't really criticise Doncaster too much for conceding that goal and, and I'm still pretty sure that Rotherham are going to be competitive at the top end of the table uh, for Darren Moore coming in with this new squad that he's had to assemble losing Marquis after the disappointment of last season where they got so close to Wembley uh, I don't think it really could have started better to be honest um, this was a very popular result with our social media manager because the two goal scorers for Doncaster uh, one James Coppinger follows us on Twitter and Ben Whiteman scored the winning penalty also follows us on Twitter so Cheers, um, two of our favourite players in the EFL I think it's fair to say and uh, both on the score sheet yeah just a huge turnaround this one wasn't it they were second best for an hour and then so far the better team in the last half hour that they ended up deserving that win Paul Warren very angry after this if we don't learn from that second half we're in trouble I've seen a few Rotherham fans over the weekend bemoaning the, the lack of Will Volks or, or really bemoaning the fact that no one's been able to step into his void in terms of obviously quality but also just energy and, and, and that character as well so um, you know there have been some some real positives and some negatives as well early on in this season for Rotherham MK Dons had Deli Ali in attendance 
at Stadium MK for their game against Wimbledon. Uh, they started two academy graduates who haven't seen much game time. This was a bold call from Tisdale. Uh, they'd lost their two previous league games, poor performances against Peterborough and against Accrington. But in that time, they'd played in the League Cup, in the Carabao Cup, and also in the Leasing.com Trophy. In those games, Sam Nombe uh, came to the fore, uh, playing up front. Uh, and, and Tisdale, I think, was quite brave to start him in this league game. You know, you've got Agard on the bench, you've got Barry on the bench, senior strikers, and Nombe literally scored the same goal that he scored twice in the midweek game against Leasing.com. And it is hugely encouraging, I think, when I think of young strikers in the EFL, the pace and movement to, to, to get in behind, um, to be found by a midfield player, at the strength to, to hold off defenders uh, and the finishing ability to, to finish well one-on-one with, with a composed, unerring accuracy. He did it twice against Stevenage in the leasing.com uh, and then he did it again on the weekend. So really positive signs for, for MK Dons. They were by far the better team for the first sort of 70 minutes and then they did get a little bit concerned with a, a bombardment by Wimbledon. Uh, Marcus Force scored a, a lovely goal for Wimbledon to make it 2-1. It was a, a real centre-forwards goal, that peeling off the defender. Brilliant header down into the far post. He looks like he's, he's someone that when he starts games, he can maybe start to make a difference for Wimbledon. But I know, George, you're a little concerned about the start that, that Wimbledon have had. You, you picked MK Dons as your best bet of the weekend and that did come in for you. But, you know, MK, uh, sorry, Wimbledon will be looking at Southend having parted company with Kevin Bond, the man who kept them up last season. And they must be wondering where the wins are going to come from for them. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, you talk about Force not getting the nod to start. I think AS Wimbledon fans were pretty annoyed uh, when the team sheets came out that Wally Downs was persevering with Cressy Apaya and Joe Piggott. Uh, Piggott, of course, hasn't re- rediscovered the form from the back end of last season. Uh, Apaya has been short of form for a while now. And I think that th- the general feeling is, is that Force is brought in to be the goal scorer this season uh, and to, to take on um, those two at the top end of the pitch. And in a game of this magnitude, you know, a league game against the the uh, the rivals, let's just say, um, I think they would like to see him come on early, and he and he comes on, and three minutes later they they go ahead. Uh, it still just feels to me like uh, they'll be able to bet they would be able to do better than Downs going forward, and and he obviously deserves credit for what happened at the back end of last season. But do you allow that to mean you get put back into a similar situation this season? Uh, I'm not necessarily convinced. They've looked really poor um, since the, since opening game and um, a tricky league to get relegated from this season because of you know Barry's expulsion and the points deduction for for Bolton and you know Southend still st- sitting there on, on zero points. But they've made the change and uh, it, it's impossible to say with AFC Wimbledon because they the relationship with Ardley was so strong and, and they um, kept their faith in him for such a long time. You don't. It's impossible to predict what the owners will do. Um, but I think most uh, most clubs would probably be, be looking at making a change fairly soon if things don't improve. Team just above the relegation zone is uh, Oxford United. Uh, George, uh, your yellows went to Fleetwood on the weekend and they lost 2-1. I think that was uh, another result that was predicted by you more or less on the, on the betting show. Um, uh, without going in too deep on the issues at Oxford, I think we'll probably have better times to do that mm. uh, in terms of what you saw from the game what you've heard from the game this Fleetwood side that you're getting quite sweet on um, what did you hear about their performance just very good very professional um, got the job done fairly easily uh, the better team won on the day and uh, as yeah I, I think the Fleetwood are 
it, if last season from basically the word go with the exception of, of Peterborough having a fast start and dropping away we, we basically knew who, who we were expecting to be at the top end of the table um, you know it was it was Portsmouth it was Sunderland um, it was these guys who st- who were the biggest clubs in the league from, from the word go basically and um, and this season it doesn't feel like that's going to be the case necessarily mm. and I think Fleetwood are one of those teams who could crash the party and, and be up there from, from now until the, until the end of the season Well luckily we got a, a, another opinion on League 1 this week uh, given that we have a bit more time to focus on Leagues 1 and 2 we've got two guests to talk through the leagues one of them is a returner Ollie Walker great friend of the podcast a man who watches and tracks and researches League 1 football more than anyone else uh, and then a debutant at the end of the podcast talking League 2 in Ed Walker uh, who uh, does a very similar job to Ollie? He does it for Football Radar, uh, where Ollie works for Quantbet. And Ollie, who you're going to hear from in just a few minutes, definitely has some thoughts about how strong we are at the top of the League One uh, table this season compared to last season. Just before we get into that, uh, we'll just pay off uh, Tranmere at two, Gillingham two, and Bristol Rovers three, Accrington three. Sounded like an absolute cracker of a game at the Mem and Accrington looking quite fluid going forward, scoring some quite eye-catching goals, as did Johnson Clark Harris, of course. And then Tranmere 2, Gillingham 2. This is an interesting one, George, because Jill's throwing away a 2-0 lead, uh, some really sloppy defending on both sides. Both of these two teams have won only one league game and both of them were 5-0 wins against that young Bolton team. So if you take those... If you take those results out, you've got a Gillingham side, five games, six goals, eight conceded uh, and and no wins, playing very direct football. Uh, But I think we're a little more concerned maybe about Tranmere. Without that Bolton win, five games, five goals, 10 conceded, just two points. And they haven't played anyone in the top 10 yet. How concerned are you right now about Mickey Mellon's Tranmere Rovers? Yeah, very concerned. Um, they lost a key man in, in James Norwood. Everyone knows that. Um, Paul Mullen, it's, you must say, scored an absolutely fantastic goal, the equaliser. Um, but we don't see that often enough. Um, so I, I think for both of these teams, to be honest, that there, there have got to be concerns. I, I said before the season started that with Gillingham, Steve Evans was, was banging the drum that didn't look. Um, what he was saying didn't really seem to match the business they were, they were doing. And, and that seems to have played out here with a, a disappointing start. And for Tranmere, it was always going to be a really, really tough ask. You know, to come up from the playoffs is difficult anyway because you know you, you are getting in through the back door and it was a, a marginal promotion, if you could say that. So I think any ideas that the Tramway were going to follow back-to-back promotions with an attempt at another um, were probably all thought out. And and this is now a case for, for, for Mickey Mellon and, and the squad to try and ensure that they keep their head above water. Um, but I do agree that the, the results against Bolton um, have come at, well the games against Bolton came at a very good time for both clubs because it's three points on the board that they wouldn't necessarily have without it um, but if you dig a bit deeper into the form there are there are alarm bells ringing for sure Now this time last week we recorded a podcast and it was deadline day we didn't really talk about transfer deals because there was still much business to be done and, and in League One you couldn't move for Bolton signings on deadline day. Now we all know the reasons for that, uh, the takeover completed eventually that allowed them to start building a squad to attack the League One season from here on out and, and George there was an amazing behind the scenes article written on The Athletic who are our partners for the season. This is a a new platform for football writing and the best group of of football writers in the country, possibly in the world. And Greg O'Keefe wrote an article, 36 hours, a 14-year-old work experience boy 
and litres of coffee, how Bolton signed nine players on deadline day. And, I mean, we, 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 we could have guessed that it was going to be carnage, but it was quite fun to get an idea, George, of just what it's actually like being in a room, genuinely in one room for a day or two, signing football players and trying to build a squad uh, at this late stage. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think as with lots of the EFL content that's on The Athletic, uh, the access is something I'm really enjoying where they seem to be able to speak. I think given you know, the calibre of writer that they have, um, they're able to speak to the protagonists and get pretty exclusive quotes from them. So it just struck me as interesting. I mean, it's, I suppose it shows the nerd in me that this is the part I find interesting. But talking about Hill and Flickcroft, um, I mean, he says Hill and Flickcroft are adamant that players couldn't just be signed purely for the sake of getting bodies in. They'd devise a system that they wanted to play and the recruits needed to fit that, which... If I was a Bolton fan reading that, it would fill me with so much um, relief, I guess, that two guys who'd only been in the job for a couple of hours had already devised a game plan. They weren't just looking to bring bodies into the door. They weren't just looking to sign players that they, they already knew, but they had an idea of how they wanted to play and wanted to get in the players to, to fit in around that. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing looking at the players they have brought in, especially the, the Daryl Murphy signing, that there's probably going to be an onus on, on to um, crosses into the box that, so that he can uh, benefit from that. Uh, a couple of attacking fullbacks as well coming in. So, yeah, I, I think that it's... Uh, and also reading it, I mean, we've all heard about how the agents didn't ask for, um, you know, waived all their agents' fees, which is mentioned in the piece as well, which is which is obviously great to see. And I Very think, surprising. Yeah, it is very surprising. And I, I think just the whole, given how sad um, the, the, the story coming out of Berry continues to be even now, I mean, I know that they're trying to, to put into place an application to come into League Two next season. But just reading this piece was just, I mean, this piece couldn't, it looked like this piece wasn't going to exist at one point. And so to be reading about Bolton, having um, two local lads as managers, getting in the players they need to, to fulfil their fixtures going forward, having a plan to do well. And then finally, the quote from from Hill saying that um, saying that he's been in positions before where he's been 12 points adrift with 16 games, games left. Now it's 11 points with 39 games left. So we can do it. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see if they can. Yeah, I'm not actually sure if it is, if that's quite right, because it's not. It's 11 points to the next team, isn't it? You, t- you, you take it up with Keith, not me. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I'm not having a go at you. I'm just not sure that quote's particularly correct. But I thought. I mean, firstly, the the sort of um, aside from the the agents all waiving their fees, uh, it was also interesting to note that the club secretary's 14 year old grandson was in the room. Uh, it would be amazing to hear his experiences from that day at some point i'm sure he learned quite a lot of new language quite a lot of new words um and also the fact that you know because of the the state of the club financially and how short term they had to do this um you know we all kind of assume now that clubs will have y scout or something similar to help with uh, with their recruitment just in terms of being able to to whip up a player and watch some clips and try and get a feel for for what sort of player he is something that we use as well but uh, Greg was writing that they basically didn't have any of those tools available. Um, the financial crisis meant there are no analysts with loads of data on targets, no access to software such as Wisecout. Um, they just had to do things the old-fashioned way, using their contacts at other clubs uh, and acting on instinct to sign players they'd never even met in person. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that continues now from here on in. Uh, when Bolton get back into league action, they've got a huge job to do. Uh, and uh, a great piece from Greg O'Keefe. If you want to read more where that's come from, fantastic football writing at theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. That'll get you a free trial to start with so you can check out what they've got on site. And then 50% off from that moment forward. Uh, That 
introduction offer that was around last month to, to everyone uh, is now pretty specific to us and a few others. So if you want to get 50% off going forward, that's a good place to do it. The last word on Bolton is that we've seen this morning that one of their signings, Joe Bunny, attacking left back, uh, has had a, a road traffic accident. And uh, the club have tweeted that he will be kept in hospital for the next 48 hours as a precautionary measure. Now, I read into that fairly hopeful that, that he'll be able to, to make a good recovery. And we just want to place on record our, our good luck to Joe and hope that everything's OK there. On the line with me now, Ollie Walker, who long term listeners of the pod will know well as our go-to League One guru. He is the League One research and match analyst for QuantBet. Ollie, we're looking for, well, basically looking to mine you for information as we do this time each year. Uh, we're going to talk League One. Thank you so much for, for joining us first and foremost. Yeah, it's good to be back. Thanks for inviting me on again. Absolute pleasure. Let, let's talk about the top of League One. Obviously, it's a it's a bit of a strange league at the moment. You've got a couple of teams in the division who've only played five games, uh, some who've played six, and a couple who've played seven. So still a bit to to sort out, I think, in terms of uh, in terms of the league table. But just in terms of of the group of teams currently at the top of League One, and I suppose thinking about um, challenges in general and 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 favourites for title challenges. Um, how how have you sort of analysed the start of this season? Last year we had. Barnsley and Luton, Sunderland and Portsmouth, and then second half of the season, Charlton came charging up. And I think to an extent that was a, a very strong top of League One compared to, to recent years. How have you analysed things so far this season? Where do we, where do you think we're at at the top of League One? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you, really. I think Barnsley and Luton, um, Portsmouth and Sunderland were certainly a cut above, and clearly a cut above from the very beginning last year. And then, as you say, Charlton just went on a monster run and then yeah this time around it's, it's definitely a little less clear cut like I think with all the favourites and all the top teams in the league and certainly the ones that the obvious ones like your Sunderland's your Portsmouth's your Ipswich's there's you know there, there hasn't been one that's really really like sort of stood out and really impressed at the start of the season I think each team well in Portsmouth's case you know obviously they've, they've only won one of their five games so far Sunderland a few of the same question marks coming up already just after that after their games and then Ipswich you know whilst you know they, they they've looked better than I think some people expected you know there isn't any sort of lingering hangover there but whether they can actually pull away and prove themselves to be one of the you know strong the strongest team in the division I think it, there hasn't been any definite signs that that will be the case yet and mm. uh, so yeah for me it's looking like a, a much more open uh tops of the division so far I think there's definitely going to be more of an opportunity for the second tier of teams if you like to uh, make a challenge and make a push for automatics or certainly make a an impact on on the playoffs and uh yeah it's looking pretty open to me so far yeah the, the good thing about talking to you and and your role with Quantbet is that you are across the underlying numbers which listeners to the pod know that we subscribe to shall we say um, but also <laughs> you 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 watch probably more league 1 football than anyone else that exists on the planet so just in you know it, it's good to to get those two perspectives i suppose merged into one talking about the 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 rest i suppose outside of the pre-season favorites ipswich sunderland um and portsmouth uh, at the moment we've got wickham top coventry second 
Fleetwood, Lincoln, Blackpool, uh, and Doncaster in seventh as well. You've got Posh, ninth, Burton, tenth. I'll stop it there. Um, out of that group, from what you've seen and from the numbers that you're crunching, are there any teams that, that are sort of uh, that are, are looking like a, a team that have legs, I suppose, to, to take advantage of what you were talking about before? Yeah, I mean, there, there definitely is. I think of the ones you've mentioned, and I think, by the way, each of those, maybe bar one or two of them, but each of those you know, could quite easily, you know, I wouldn't be ruling them out at this stage, put it that way. Well, whilst I wouldn't expect them to necessarily, you know, I wouldn't have them as favourites above the bigger teams, but, the, you know, there's definitely a chance. Um, by the numbers, certainly, and I know you and George picked up on this already, is that Fleetwood have made a very strong start. Um, you know, the, 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 the attacking numbers look really good. They've got one of the best attacks in the league by chance creation, which I know Paddy Madden's obviously benefited from the most, having poached seemingly poached a goal every single week as he seems <laughs> yeah. to do they have all um, been like proper poachers goals as well haven't they yeah yeah uh, you know it's against also at the weekend you know the rebounds there and who, there's only one person reacting to it and it's paddy madden yeah so yeah and yeah by the numbers they're looking good uh, you know and as as you know we you know using that as a indicator of what might be to you know what might come um possibly they'll be you know, if they maintain this, they, they should be in with the shout. I, th- I think a couple of the reservations I had a- about them so far was that the majority of the, the, the sort of the beef behind those numbers has come in games against uh, AFC Wimbledon, Wickham and Accrington and Doncaster. Mm. And three of those were at home as well. So, you know, so maybe there's a bit of... Uh, I'm not going to call it stat, stat padding because they did what they had to do to win those games. But, you know, in such small sample sizes, you know, these sort of things do matter. And Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, home games against Wimbledon. I think it was Wimbledon and Accrington were the home games, possibly Wickham as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I, suppose, was the away one. I suppose on a, on a positive sense, you know, that those are the stat padding may be the case, but they are winning those games. I'm, I'm looking last season um, at home to the bottom half. They only won three out of 12. And they drew a huge, huge number of games against bottom half teams at home. Uh, and away from home, they won, I think it's four against the bottom half, but they lost six and drew two. So actually, in terms of an improvement for a side that didn't change manager uh, has kept a, a, a nucleus of the squad together. That's an encouraging sign, I suppose, that they have at least improved on something that they lacked last season. No, that's definitely fair. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, especially with Barton as well. That last season, I think, was seen as hitting, probably hitting par. You know, they, they are. He has he has been pretty well backed. You know, they have got a very strong squad, and whilst they didn't necessarily challenge. For the playoffs last season they were in the mix and it was a foundation to build on and as you say they look to have built on it so far and, and pushed on level and that should definitely put them in contention and obviously the, the recruitment they've made which you've touched on were you know on paper at least very clear improvements to the side so, I know yeah. that um, I'm sure you will have, have seen this as well but I note that Coots I think completed 61 out of 65 passes on the weekend he's, <laughs> he's absolutely loving being back at this level he's absolutely bossing things tell me I'm interested to know Ollie uh, before we talk about the bottom of the league uh, which is more confusing than, than ever with uh, with obviously Berry having been expelled with Bolton on minus points 
Um, still a lot of um, uncertainty surrounding uh, that whole situation, really. I'm interested to know from, from the games that you're watching, just you uh, and, and, and you, this, this might show footballing bias, but which team are you enjoying watching the most? Like personally, I went to that Oxford-Burton game in midweek with George the other week. And I was I was just absolutely loving the way that Burton were playing. It, it was it was simple. It wasn't ticky tacker or passing anyone to death. But I I just really enjoyed the the simple efficiency of it. Uh, is there a team so far this season that you you know you really look forward to watching back their games? Yeah, I, I think Burton are a good example of a team that, as you say, whilst they're not necessarily pretty, not that's not to say they're ugly either. But you know, it's, it, it, I think what's what you can enjoy about them is that they're just very clearly well coached well drilled each player knows what they're doing and that as you say can translate into an enjoyable watch because when you see the team working as effectively and uh, you know maximizing the sum of their parts uh, for me and you know I take this question in a footballing sense well actually I'll, I'll tell you what I'll give you an answer that's not in a footballing sense first I do enjoy watching Sunderland games just because every single one has a sense of occasion about it and the you know the pressure is there mm. uh and yes, you just see the, the you know, how much it, it does mean, a lot, you know, each game does mean a lot more because of that. Um, in a footballing sense, Doncaster last season under Grant McCann, obviously, you know, very attacking, very fluid, very vertical. You know, each time they got the ball, each pass was into midfield. The next pass was into, you know, out wide or into the forward line. Um, and it's, it's interesting that Darren Moore, Whilst he's tweaked it slightly, it's not four three three anymore. It's a four two three one. So he's pushed one of the central midfielders into the ten roll, and it, you know it's, it's quite a clear four two three one as well. It's mm. not there isn't so much fluid movement, but the sort of the diagonal passes they make between between each line, uh, you know, and the principles of play remain the same. It's still very much about keeping the ball on the floor, you know, passing and moving. Um, so yeah, that, 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 you know they've retained that sort of style about them, and then the other one is Coventry as well. You know they've got Mark Roberts has really developed a, again they're probably more out, to be out of the division. They're probably the what you'd classify as the the prettiest team. You know it, it is sort of a, um, it's not slow tempo, but it's not high tempo either. You know they do like to be patient and you know and, and build build the play and you know play short little passes and wait wait for the opportunities to play through um, you know and they get bodies involved in the attack as well which you know you always like to see um so yeah out, out, out of the division those two definitely stand out to me and then obviously Sunderland for the for the real the big matches on a weekly basis yeah they look like they have good strength uh, in depth as well this season Coventry looking at O'Hare coming on and and scoring the winner on the weekend, but uh, but also you know you got Bakayoko on the bench, Castanier as well, who's shown flashes. Jamie Allen, who hasn't even featured yet through injury, so definitely a, a, one of the teams towards the top end. Who personally I think could could have serious legs. Um, at the bottom of the division, like what what are you making of that at the moment? Well, I mean it's completely unique because yeah, everyone's aware. But obviously we've got. One, we've got 23 teams rather than 24 this year. So there's only three relegation places. And of those relegation places, you've got a team in Bolton starting on minus 12 points and having only just signed a squad of players this week, was it? Or is that, sorry, but the, um, well, it was right about this time last week, wasn't it? The deadline day mm, was. So, yeah. really, I mean, 
unless Keith Hill and David Flickcroft do pull off a miracle, and it maybe a miracle is a bit strong given that they have been able to sign players and there is so much time of the season left, but it would obviously be a humongous achievement if they managed to keep them up in these circumstances. So if we're realistically, or probably at least, looking at two relegation places, I mean, that's, that's just a complete flip on... Well, it's, it's cut the relegation places in half, you know, whether there's four normally, which is the most in... Uh, the top four leagues anyway mm. now we've only got two um south end i think it was clear that it wasn't working uh for kevin bond i, I, was, I was disappointed because when he came in at the end of last season he did really well just to, you know did just enough like just lifting the spirits maybe just adding a new voice just lifting the confidence of a few players and it was you know they didn't romp their way to relegation safety they, they did sort of limp over the line but you know there's no denying that he did get the results that were needed but then coming into this season um just very disappointed that there were you know they didn't seem to push on from that they didn't seem to use that as a as a platform the recruitment seemed if i, if I can maybe so harsh it seemed a bit but to be a bit bargain hunting to be honest there wasn't any sort of pedigree bought in it was sort of I think that's very Brilliant. fair. I, I assume yeah. the, I assume the owner has, has been burnt by previous windows where he's, you know, possibly overpaid for some players or, or has splashed out a little bit more and, and maybe didn't feel ready to do that again, which is absolutely his uh, his prerogative. I wonder if that, uh, I wonder if the same. On. You know, you touched on how you know he was able to lift the spirits and use that motivation of survival last season to 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 get them over the line. Uh, it, it strikes me, albeit to a, a, a much bigger degree, that Wally Downs um, yes. proved himself to be an excellent motivator in that sense as well. But we did say pre-season, it's a completely different prospect. Um, you know, not not to diminish that achievement, but uh, when you don't have that easy um, sort of motivational tool of, of survival, when you've got a whole season ahead of you and, and everything's a blank slate, that is a different prospect for a manager. And, and I guess in both senses, it looks like they're they're struggling. Kevin Bond's already lost his job. I'm not saying Wally Downs is close to losing his job, but just watching this Wimbledon side, it's kind of it's more first half of last season than second half of last season. No, I completely agree. And again, that's been a real disappointment because it, I thought that what Downs did at the end of last season was just commendable and just get you know finding a, you know just changing the style of play slightly, you know, changing the shape. But then once he established that, just sticking to it, just playing it week in, week out, just knowing what they were, knowing, you know, the players knew what they were going into and knew what had to be done. Um, what I will say about that is obviously they did have what is a now Premier League goalkeeper in Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Mm. Um, and Nathan Trott, who's coming from West Ham, obviously, is, you know, it's a tough act to follow. You know, he may well turn out to be very good, but whether he'll be, you know, playing in the Premier League next season would be quite a leap. Um yeah, and no, I've just I just found him to be a bit one-dimensional. It's, it's it's you know it's not like he's changed anything from last summer, but it just seems that there hasn't been any new ideas or freshness brought in. It's just it, it seems to have gone a bit stale already. Um, and yeah, I completely agree. They're looking quite flat. And yeah, I would I would definitely agree that changes something needs to change in the you know in the patterns of play that are going on at the moment for them to make sure that they're above the bottom bottom three. Let's get a bit more positive about things. Um, I want to ask you about 
individual players that you have noted so far this season still very early days of course and at this level inconsistency does creep in and and players who start the season hot don't always continue hot I'm thinking of you Jason Cummings last season but um, just in terms of 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 key players uh, so far in League One this season whether they be uh, young players or old players players who have uh, kicked on from last season or are new into the league just run me through a couple of guys that have caught your eye well, I think straight off the bat, I've been very impressed with how James Norwood's taken to the lead, uh, to the league even. Um, I just, I just really like the cut of his jib. I didn't see too much. Obviously, he's scored a hatful of goals last season, but I didn't necessarily uh, watch him too often last season, apart from in the the playoff final. Um, and he's he's what you might call a proper striker. Like he's just a a big, you know, he's a bit of a unit. He knows it, and he, he you know, he's just, he's just a bit of a defender's nightmare. Just one of those classic. We'll play on the shoulder. We'll go, you know, going with enthu- into every challenge with enthusiasm. Um, you know, he r- runs all day, runs the channels, takes the hits, gives as good as he gets. He's a menace, I think you'd call him. Um, mm. But also a natural goal scorer as well. You know, if, if, regardless of his leading the line and, and those qualities he possesses, he's a really good finisher knows where the goal is and just unerring as well. You don't see him hesitate in front of goal. When he gets a chance, you know, he, you know he's head down and puts his foot through it. So, yeah, he's done really well, um, in my opinion. Uh, likewise, in that Ipswich team, the midfield two of Cole Skews and Flynn Downs have just formed a partnership straight away. And you've got what I like about it is you've got the older, experienced head of uh, Cole Skews, who's, you know, League One, well, whilst... Obviously, last season in the championship certainly went wrong. Uh, you know, he's taken to League One very well, Cole Skews, and at, 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 having played most of his career at a higher level as well, you know, he's he's really able to control games. Mm. While whilst next to him, you've got the enthusiasm and legs of Flynn Downs, who, you know, he's, he's a player I've liked for a long time because we had him at Luton on loan um, at the end of our League Two promotion season, and it was clear you know I think that was his first loan you know I think he played 12 games in League 2 and it was clear he wasn't going to spend any of the rest of his career (laughs) at that level Um, I think he played a few games in Championship last year and then coming down I think one of the positives about Ipswich coming into League 1 is that it has given them more freedom and more opportunities to just trust these young players you know know, obviously their academy is so prolific they've got so many prospects um, that can already contribute but maybe the Championship's a bit of a you know, a harsh environment to throw them into. Whereas in League One, they're able to get on the ball. They're able to, and Down, Downs typifies this. He just plays with so much confidence. You know, he's got so much, so much, much energy, so many legs. Just gets around midfield all the time, just biting, uh, biting opposition ankles. But he's also very canny on the ball as well. You know, he wins the ball back, brings it out, and then looks forward and plays the pass. So yeah, he's really very, like bra- very brave on the ball, isn't he? What about mm. uh, anyone not from Ipswich Town? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's that's very fair. Um, well, there, there, yeah, there's a couple of the new, newbies. Certainly, Solly Kai Kai has made an impression already, which I know you've noted. Um, I don't know if he meant his goal at the weekend, but that was just a real show. Personally, I'm willing to believe he did. Okay, a real show of class. And in another um, game weeks, he's, he's shown he's just got, particularly in Blackpool's team as well, where they had more of a a battling team that was going to win uh, their individual battles last season. He just brings a real quality. And I think he's a real coupe, uh 
for Blackpool at League One level as well because he's had a loan at Brentford in the Championship a couple of years ago, then a loan at I think it was Shrewsbury. Um, that certainly, you know, neither of which were necessarily failures. So to get him on a permanence have uh, been very impressive. And then just just players that have caught my eye that were already around last season as well. You've got I really like the pairing. I know Oxford have had a bit of a shaky start, but Cameron Brannigan and Rob Dickey look. Well, they're almost mm. being let down by their teammates, in my opinion, because they, they, they've. Been, I like them. Well, Brannigan in particular, I liked last season. Dickey's an interesting one in that he's, you know, he's a centre half that I can't remember. Obviously, last season wasn't his first. I think it might have been his first senior season at that level, um, and was very out of form at the start of the season. In yeah. the first half of the season, particularly as Oxford were, second half of the season improved a bit with the team you know seems to stop being at fault for a goal every game week and then come back this summer and he is just leading that defensive line um you know performing all his typical centre-half duties but also what you know his main trait and his main strength is that he really brings the ball the ball out of defence well Mm. and uh you know finds the forward pass to move Oxford from you know just uh, build up possession into actually a dangerous attack and then Brannigan similar story and it's very similar player to Flynn Downs as well in that he's just got so much energy in the midfield but real quality on the ball as well um he was very impressive last season he looks to have kicked on again and if it you know if that appears to be the case Excuse me, if Oxford don't go up, then I think this may be his last season at the Kassam. Yeah, you picked a few players there whose teams can expect to probably make a fair bit of money from them if they uh, if they can't keep hold of them. Kai Kai especially is one of those guys. A bit like um, they did with Mark Bowler last season, Blackpool, who came yeah. permanently from, from Arsenal. He'd had a few loans, maybe hadn't necessarily found a, a home on loan. Um, but immediately after sort of five, ten games, you thought, yep, they're going to make some money from him pretty quickly. <laughs> and uh, certainly with the ease with which Kai Kai drifts past players and uh, and actually his quality in front of goal as well. Um, he is going to be highly sought after at a higher level at some point. Let's finish off with a, a couple of more quick fire Q&A questions, if you will. Um, sure. I want, I've already asked you your favourite team to watch, so I won't ask you that again. I'm a bit sad you didn't mention uh, Pep Guardiola's Rochdale, but um, that's fine. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to ask you who you think the most underrated player at this level is. Well, this was, I had to think about this one. This was based more on last season. Um, it's hard to pick an underrated player on six games, but certainly last season, uh, and this goes back to my traditional football man views uh, I, I went for Tom Naylor of Portsmouth um, and this was just based on the fact that he's your typical unfashionable um, it's not, and this is not to say he doesn't possess technical quality but it's, it's certainly his his role in Portsmouth's side was just to sit in front of the defence and just sweep up make sure there was no trouble make, you know just keep everything sensible mm. make, you know just lock the lock the midfield up Um you know, obviously never going to attract any headlines uh, or in the highlight, you know, never going to feature in the highlight reels. But he did a really important role in their midfield and, and, and just did, did it really, really well. Um, you know, every single week you're getting a, a seven out of ten at least from him. Um, and it was just very important for them. So, yeah, def- definitely okay. shout out to him. Give him, give him the plaudits he deserves. Yeah, spot on. What about an overrated player? This one could cause some controversy. Yeah, it is. It's a difficult one to answer. I went, you know what? I went for Marcus Madison, and this is not to disrespect his football ability, um, 
at all and and it really isn't like because i don't think his footballing ability is overrated he gets you know especially the start of this season he's just been on fire to a ridiculous extent um is it the reason i went for him as an overrated player is simply just because he is a specialist player you know he's he is what he is to use a very broad term which doesn't help anyone understand what type of player he is but yeah no he's just a specialist and he needs a team to be built around him if you build a team around him that enables him to just perform as Marcus Madison does then you're going to have a good team but if you need him to be more you know think more about his his role in the team as opposed to just thinking about what he can do uh, when he's on the ball in terms of creating chances or just firing and rockets from 30 yards um then he's potentially less valuable so i thought that was yep. the fairest way yeah i think that i think you've explained it perfectly well um a couple more who's the best manager interview and or the most quotable manager i know that in your role you have to be across a lot of pre-match press conferences post-match press conferences etc who do you enjoy listening to the most yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one because the, 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 there is a couple of characters, but the, the, for, for the most part, they are pretty sensible. Um, funny enough, I actually find whilst he hasn't necessarily got his team firing yet in his season there, I, I, I do always enjoy listening to Jack Ross. I just find him really clear and eloquent to speak to listen to. Mm. You know, he always gets his point across. He's always very calm. Um, and he genuinely doesn't seem affected by the amount of pressure that he's under at Sunderland. He seems, you know, he holds his nerve, you know, he t- takes every question as it is and al- always comes back with a very considered and intelligent response. Yeah, um, he's got he's got an absolutely excellent temperament, no matter what you think about, uh, absolutely. No, no matter what you think about the team. Um, I was going to ask you next manager to leave, but we're going to suspend that one because of the uh, reports this morning that Danny Cowley will be joining Huddersfield. So last one, What's your favourite goal that's been scored in League One so far this season? <laughs> I mean, there's a few, and uh, exactly that overrated guy at Peterborough has already knocked in a couple. Um, Madison's 30-yarder at MK Dons, where he just cuts in from the right channel and just cut, bends one in the top corner, which I think went it well went in off the post, and it? Mm. it wasn't the bar, was it? It was the post. Which just extreme technical quality. I think even better than that was the free kick last weekend at Sunderland. Um, which he's capable of doing. Um, that's probably not even the last time we're going to see that this season. Mm. And then the other two, I, <laughs> you, 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 uh, I heard a little chuckle from you when I spoke about Kai Kai's goal against Coventry. You, you're not having that one. Uh, personally, I think he's just trying to lift it to his mate at the back post. But I, 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 I'll give I'll give it to you. But any other, I, ones? I'm a believer. Okay. Um, the other one, I, 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 I didn't make a note of the goal scorer, so I'm really sorry. But I think it's. It, you know, the goal scorer played just did the tapping at the end. It was really the um, the Rochdale goal at Southend, as bad as mm. the Southend defending was, and how easy they were to play through. To play, you know, you still got to work the ball from the defence to two yards out from the goal line, which isn't easy against any team at any level. Mm. Um, so yeah, that Rochdale Spot goal on. against Southend. Yeah, I think it was Henderson. I think it was Henderson. Normally is um, Ollie. Thank you yeah. so much for for lending us your time and your expertise. Really appreciate no, that's it. That's great. Um, if you would like to follow Ollie on Twitter, he's quite quiet to be honest, but he uh, he he will share good content, and that's worth something alone. Uh, it's at Oliver MPW underscore. 
Um, we'll make sure that his handle's in the tweet when we release this podcast. So um, just go and follow Ollie, uh, ask him any questions about League One, and um, I'm sure he'll thank me for that. Uh, it's been great to talk to you, and we hope to do so again soon. Yeah, really enjoyed it, mate. Nice one, Ali. We're getting right inside League Two now, and there's some breaking news, isn't there? I think we've got to start with it. On the weekend, Cheltenham beat Stevenage 4-2, and, you know, we'll start with Cheltenham. Uh, the home form, we know about it. It's established their last 14 league games at home. They've won 10 and drawn four for 34 points. Ryan Broom was the star of the game. He swept home a hussy cross, and he set up two goals as well. But, George, it spells the end. For Dino Mamria, he's been let go by Stevenage, had such a good season last season, such a positive season, uh, and yet here they are seven games in with three points thanks to three draws, just four goals scored in total. Uh, what do you think about this news this morning? Not a massive surprise, I don't think. Um, I think teams who are basically <laughs> struggling at the bottom end of the table in mid-September are normally going to be looking over their shoulders and wondering when that time is going to come um, they had a decent season last season that's the thing I mean they ended up I think in 11th place uh, Stevenage with a, with a late um, attempt to kind of break into the playoffs didn't quite get there and we had Dino on our pod uh, who was a very good interviewee we must say um, so, so obviously bad news for him uh, but I think that going forward now um, it's important I mean one relegation spot it's important they invest in someone who I think can take the club forward uh, no name is really being mentioned at the moment, but I had a thought where a couple of days ago I was listening to Talk Sport 2, of course, have lots of EFL coverage, and Steve Morrison, Stevenage legend, was on uh, as the guest, and he was talking at the end of the interview about how he's recently done his, his coaching badges and, and is looking at some stage, not necessarily now, of course, where he's a player for Shrewsbury, but he's looking at some stage to get into that side of the game. And I just wondered whether or not that could be quite a fun um, appointment for Stevenage to make. He's obviously a very intelligent guy. He speaks very well. Um, and, you know, he's the second highest goal scorer in Stevenage's history as well. So in terms of, of lifting a club, I think the return of a of, of a club legend uh, effectively would be would be a good one. And I think if there's anyone who could help the, uh, the, the toiling Stevenage strikers to work out where the goal is, I think he'd probably be one um, who could be an interesting fit. So just... I thought my end, um, but it'll be interesting to see who they go for because there are some good managers out there. Yeah, I mean, the current interim manager is Mark Sampson, who, of course, had a, a, a long spell as manager or head coach, rather, of the England women's national team. It was a, a tenure that ended under a cloud, I think it's fair to say. And since the summer, he's been first team coach at Stevenage. Some suggestion that it's his job to, to lose, really, and... Uh, the chairman, Phil Wallace, has a has a big decision to make, as you mentioned. I just wonder whether, you know, he's he's he has been trying to be quite creative in ways to to grow the club's revenue. They've got a, an eye-catching sponsorship deal on the front of their shirt with Burger King. Uh, he went down a sort of crowdfunding route uh, of sorts using the website Tifosi over the summer to try and boost the playing budget, uh, all in an attempt to... Uh, get Stevenage a bigger budget so they could compete at the top end of League Two, and uh, and to be in twenty third after seven games is just clearly such a uh, such a a poor start in response to to that 
uh, excitable summer that it's probably no surprise he's made that decision. I don't think the fans are too disappointed from a footballing perspective as much as there is a lot of respect for Dino Mamria uh, as a man and for what he's done there. So Sampson is in as interim. I wonder if Sol Campbell might be chucking his, his hat into the ring, George. We know that uh, when he was Macclesfield manager, he was still living in London. He was doing a lot of Instagram stories from the first class carriage on the Virgin train every day. Uh, Stevenage a little closer to home for him. And um, certainly, uh, you know, if if growing the profile of the club is, is something that uh, that the chairman is interested in, then Sol Campbell will no doubt be an interesting name for him to, to at least consider. Um, let's talk about what happened over the weekend. Probably the most impressive performance of the season from the league leaders in Exeter. We've mentioned every time we've spoken about them, a lot of narrow wins early on, a couple of wins that they clearly got a little bit fortunate with. But this away win at Carlisle with 200 Exeter fans making a 700 mile round trip and being rewarded really with just a fantastic display and a, 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 a fairly comfortable win by all accounts. This Exeter side, George growing into the season while also maintaining top spot as it stands. Yeah, really impressive win. And as you say, the first win where they've done it in style as well. It wasn't a 1-0 um, edging it out victory, uh, although it was still Nicky Law who scored the uh, the final goal of the game for them, which he's making a, a, a quite a handy habit of. Um, but it's the same thing every week. You've just got to keep saying that the job Matt Taylor's doing is, is just really impressive. And um, they, they don't necessarily look to be a, a team who are going to dominate this league but they're effective they know where the goal is they're, they're pretty good at keeping teams out um, and there seems no reason why they can't continue to, to to do good stuff yeah law at the moment you have to say and and we touch on a couple of these names with ed walker who gives us his league two expertise a little later on in the podcast but law along with danny mayer bez labala and perhaps hansen as well of grimsby the, the class player in the division at this stage influencing Every game at the moment, Nicky Law, what a fantastic player and what a start to the season he's had. Carlisle's defending left a lot to be desired here. They might have a reputation within the game for playing nice football, knocking it around a bit. Uh, and, and McCurdy and Nathan Thomas are very exciting to watch going forward. But none of that really matters if they're going to be able to be played through quite so easily as they were for the first goal uh, and for the third goal or to completely fail to mark the opposition centre-back from corners. Uh, which is what happened for the second goal. So some concerns there for Carlisle. Uh, and, and the other big performance and result of the weekend from a top team was Crew uh, beating Grimsby away from home. Lovely goal from Charlie Kirk. Oh, oh. what a goal. He's very from, good. I've, I've, I felt quite smug about this one. That's Last, my, that must be my hot take for the week, is that Charlie Kirk is very good at football. Well, I, that's why I feel like such a legend, because last week on this very podcast, I said, in terms of technical ability, you know, what he can do with the ball at his feet, he yeah. is much better than the level. And the way that he toyed with the defenders, having rolled it past the keeper, um, absolutely fantastic to find the top corner. Yeah. But um, Another it, one, 21 years old for that crew academy uh, system that used to produce so many gems. You feel like he's someone with a future a little bit higher than League Two. Yeah, absolutely. Lowry, central midfield player, scored the winning goal the week before. He was in the goals again this week. Another player that looks to have made a bit of a leap this summer and in turn, crew themselves are making a bit of a leap. They um, they only have two players in their starting 11 that they signed in the summer. So it's, it's still the same core. It's still the same manager in Dave Artell and they're just slowly improving year on year. Um, despite the goal scorers getting the headlines, looking at, whoscored.com that we spoke about on the betting show, which is now giving much more in-depth statistical analysis of League One and League Two. Um, Perry and G caught my eye. The right back 
seven key passes in this game. It was absolutely sensational numbers to be racking up from right back. He had the most touches in the game. He is certainly evidence that even if you play fullback, you can still be the most influential player in a team. You can still be the most influential player in a football match. And he's another player that should already be playing at a higher level, probably. And crew could and should make quite a lot of money from uh, in due course. Other two teams towards the top end that won were Newport and Swindon. But I think George will agree with, with apologies. There's not too much detail to go into here because there were two wins that we've spoken about already for both of these teams. Newport keeping a clean sheet, deservedly winning, but not exactly plundering goals, shall we say. Uh, and Swindon going ahead with a bit of quality from Anderson, then a bit of luck for the second goal, and then proving themselves to be the most devastating counter-attacking team in the league, which we knew already. That that front four of Isgrove, Anderson, Yates and Doyle uh, just looking at, at as good as ever. And uh, Ed's going to talk a bit more about them in due course. Um, and then... What do you want to talk about next? You have, you've got Cambridge losing to Forest Green, Bradford beating Northampton 2-1. Anything particular catching your eye there? Forest Green are flying in the face of XG at the moment, that's for sure. Yeah, they are. Um, a, a team who, this time last year, we were talking about projecting well and, and not getting the, the points they deserve necessarily. And now it's vice versa, which is a bit of a strange one mm. because you think that the way that Mark Cooper managed them last season, this wouldn't happen. But, uh, but it has and... Uh, you know they're they're a team that I wasn't convinced by. Uh, it's fair to say in the summer, but um, but some decent results. Cambridge after a, a bit of a purple patch, um, suffering a, a frustrating defeat here, um, with Mark Richards missing a, a crucial penalty at nil nil, as well. But I do think they've got enough quality in that team now to to, to be okay. Um, although they'll be disappointed with the result for Bradford, an important win here. Uh, after a, a bad couple of games, um, felt a bit sorry for Zeli Ishmael, who is another person to be fallen into the trap of being fought and then being booked, um, because uh, I think Jordan Turnbull had decided to take uh, offence by a challenge of his, but he didn't seem to react at all. But just because of his his uh, his role in the tussle, he was shown a second yellow card. I think it's something that has to be looked at because you see it quite a lot now. Um, if you know your opposition players on a yellow, just fight them and then hope that you both get both get shown yellows. Um, but a, a big result for them, undoubtedly. And frustrating for Northampton um, not to be able to build on an upturn in form, especially going one nil up. Um, but uh, with Bradford, I guess that the, you still have to expect them to be up there, and uh, and it's good for them to get another three points. Yeah, there's been a bit of chat amongst the Bradford online community about style of play and about the right system. I guess if you go from the front backwards, uh, if you if you want to play James Vaughan and Clayton Donaldson up front in the same team, then you you really are going to have to play most likely in in a style that's going to be quite direct. Um, they've been setting up four four two, and just for the eye test, to be honest, is telling me that they're they're not playing particularly fluid attacking football. They are still managing to create um, enough chances to win games, which is encouraging in a way, and 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 you hope that. You know, you say this about every team at this stage of the season. You say they will get better, they will improve, they will grow into the season. Now, some teams will, and, and frankly, some teams won't. So the hope is that Gary Bowyer and Bradford can can start to click a little bit more because uh, despite some good results, I still think there are some reservations given the, the quality they have on paper about some of the performances. But they, they definitely deserve that win. They restricted Northampton to very little. And I think they have got the potential to be an excellent defensive team, um, Bradford, once they get more and more organised. So um, a, a positive win uh, there for them. To finish our League Two segment, as mentioned, we've called on the expertise 
of Ed Walker. Ed works for Football Radar. He is their League Two expert and analyst. And we wanted to ask him a couple of questions about League Two in general this season, things that he's noticed and things that have caught his eye. Right, we have got our League Two expert on the line now. Ed Walker joins me. Ed is the League Two league analyst for Football Radar. You will maybe know of the company already, but you definitely would have seen them in the news recently um, as the, the the those who run the company have, have bought uh, Notts County as well. Um, Ed, as League Two analyst for Football Radar, what sort of role do you have? What, uh, what sort of work do you do? So my job is to keep an eye closely on the lineups. So there's two of us that run League Two. I have 12 of the sides and the, my colleague Alex has the other 12. We keep a close eye on the lineup, so it's our job to work out prior to each game who's out injured, who's out suspended, who's a doubt for a fixture, and use that to essentially kind of predict the lineup and then edit so when the lineups actually come out about two o'clock. Nice. So you're also a prolific match goer. Uh, 62 out of 92 is what it says in your Twitter bio. Yes. Hell of an effort. What's the most recent ground that you've ticked off? So the most recent one for that would have been uh, the opening weekend of the championship. I went to Bristol City Leeds down at Ashton Gate. Lovely. That's, that's a hell of a place to go and watch football now, isn't it? Oh, with absolutely. the uh, Yeah, with the redevelopment. Yeah, very nice. Randomly, I did some of my um, some of my finals at university. I did in the in the sports hall at Ashton Gate, which was quite fun. All right. And if okay. you finished early, you could go and sit in the stands for a bit and wait for your mates to finish, which uh, I always thought was quite smart. Um, so so definitely enjoyed <laughs> that. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we phoned you up, Ed, because as you've mentioned in your role, you follow League Two very, very closely. So we just wanted to, to get some of your takes on the start of the season, just like we did with Ollie Walker, no relation um, for, for League One. Uh, I wanted to start with the top of League Two. Um, I, I said on last week's podcast, when we discussed the, the top five, as it was then, that an admittedly early stage I didn't see a team yet that was playing uh, or looked like they could get up to a level that maybe Lincoln or, or even arguably MK Dons and Berry reached mm-hmm. last season and I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on, on that because it, it might be that I'm that I've missed something and it might be that there will be teams that grow into the season but who have you seen so far this season that you think this actually looks like a top top team that will be challenging throughout the season yeah. Well, I think what's interesting this season is that um, the two unbeaten sides currently in the league, which are Exeter City and Newport County, they actually make up the top two places. Mm. And you'd think that would make sense. But if you go back 12 months, it was a completely different story. Um, this time last year, there were three unbeaten sides after seven games. You had, as you mentioned, Milton Keynes Dons, Forest Green Rovers and Mansfield. And they were sixth, ninth and twelfth in the table, respectively. Mm. A lot of draws between those sides. And you're finding out that the unbeaten sides are picking up more wins and draws. And as you would have thought, they've ended up in the top two. Those three sides from last year, of course, ended up third, going promoted, fifth place and fourth place, respectively. We are early on the season, of course, but it is worth pointing out that those sides still unbeaten in early September do go on to have top six finishes coming down the season. So if you're an Exeter and a Newport fan... There's something to get a bit excited about, for sure. <laughs> OK, what about uh, a Crewe or a, a Swindon or a Grimsby or even a Cheltenham? These are uh, teams currently in the top seven as well, out of the ones that you've seen. Who's yeah, catching your eye? Yeah, they've surprised me a bit. Um, Crewe obviously are known for their fantastic young talent. 
Swindon, I think, have been massively helped by the surprise arrival of Yoan Doyle from Bradford, who has started the season on mm. fire, and I hope that continues, certainly. Grimsby are a really entertaining side to watch, particularly with James Hansen, who has fit into that system of play that Michael Jolly has so well. And Cheltenham, it looks like we're having a similar season with Luke Varney to what it was last year, and that's really good to see. Yeah, absolutely. What about the team's... Down at the bottom currently, you've got Scunthorpe with just one point from seven games. Above them, Stevenage, the only other side not to have won yet, who this morning have parted company with yeah. Dino Mamria. It'd be good to get your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I'll start with Scunthorpe because it's hard to ignore at the minute. I did always have a feeling that a relegation hangover could hit them from last season. But to this case... No, I don't think anyone could really say that was something you'd expect. Hmm. I've got real concerns about Paul Hurst's future. I don't think he's going to be there much longer. They've shipped the most goals in the entire division, 15 conceded, and are the joint third lowest scoring side with just five. They seem to be in a really similar boat to what Notts County were a year ago hmm. when they also had a point from seven games, albeit they did have a worse goal difference. But as we all know, they suffered a drop. And if something doesn't change, we could see the iron lighted to repeat that. And I've got to put mention in for um, defender James Perch in that side, whose season is pretty much summing up how difficult it's been to the Scunthorpe so far. So he missed the first three league games of the season after collecting a total of 15 yellow cards in the last campaign. So he missed the first three games of this. On his return at Cambridge, he got sent off. <laughs> so he then missed the next three games. Shouldn't and laugh, that means really. The total He's played 21 league minutes so far. Wow, okay. yeah, Which is not, just unbelievable. Not ideal. Uh, what about uh, Stevenage parting company with Dino Mamria? Did that come as a surprise for you? Um, no, to be honest. I think when you look at the situation, not having a win after seven games for a side who finished fairly well last season, did have a lot of reliance, I do think, on Elias Chair. Mm. Very, very good player last year. They clearly are still missing him at the minute. But... That's not to say there isn't ability in the side. I like Curtis Guthrie, and um, I'm interested to see how Craig McHale-Smith brings into that front line following his late move. But they should be doing a lot better than they are, and it is understandable that he's been released. I do feel a bit for him, because I have seen recently there was a bit of belief from some fans that he has not been applauding away support, particularly mm. during their defeat at the weekend. But that clearly has not been the case. He is a dedicated guy. And it's a bit of a shame to see him go, but it is understandable why he's left in my eyes. Yeah, such a good job done last season, possibly raised expectations, which which ultimately have sort of cost him after such a poor start this time around. Um, any other teams uh, in the group above them? Uh, you've got Oldham, Walsall, Morecambe, Carlisle, perhaps. A anything you've seen that would cause you concern about those sides? Or... It is Morecambe that's concerning me at the minute. Um, they made a decent start. Um, they're always... One of those that people are very quick to write off, I think, wrongly, because they've shown year after year that there is a lot of fight and a really determined side who love achieving over the odds. But since they win at Macclesfield, they've shipped 17 goals in five games, and that's in all competitions. Mm. Um, their goalkeeper, Barry Roach, just talked to the media about how they want to sort out these defensive errors, and I completely agree with them. And they need to sort this out, otherwise we're going to find them slipping down towards that bottom, and it's something Jim Bentley is not going to want his side to do. Roach really summed up League Two goalkeeping on the weekend, didn't he? With a, a, an absolute howler for Salford's second yeah. goal and then a yeah. genuinely top-class save uh, from a penalty as well to, 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 sort of, uh, to rescue a point. Uh, I want to talk to you about some players that you've seen this season that are standing out to you. These could be 
Uh, these could be old players, young players, anyone really. As someone who follows the league closely, who 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 have been your favourite players so far in League Two this season? Yeah, it's a good few to talk about. Um, I've mentioned him previously, but if you're talking about a player who's probably had the biggest impact on our side so far, it has to be Owen Doyle at Swindon. He obviously joined Bradford in the summer, but having to compete with James Vaughan and Clayton Donaldson left him out of favour, understandably, and he was allowed to join Swindon on loan. And that has just proved to be a very, very good move. He's got five goals in just five games and has played a really big part alongside Jerry Yates in helping Swindon to fourth on the current table. And if that not continues for the rest of the season, we're looking at one of the teams to watch in Swindon Town for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are some other notable goal scorers as well. I like James Hansen, as I mentioned. He's doing really well into that system. He's currently on five. You've got Danny Rose at Mansfield, who's got six goals, and Mansfield themselves have only scored eight in the league. So he's playing a big part in their goal scoring afterwards. But perhaps the notable youngster is the guy who's just won the PFA Fans Player of the Month, and it's Bez Labala at Crawley. Mm. He's linked up with Gabriel Cioffi, who used to be part of the coaching staff at Labala's old club, Birmingham City, and he's absolutely flown out the blocks. He's got five league goals, and he's got the winner also against Norwich City in the League Cup second round. Everything's going right for him currently. Yeah, absolutely. And let's polish it off with a, a couple of uh, quick-fire Q&A questions. Same sort of thing that we asked Ollie in League One earlier. I want to know, as someone who, who follows the league very closely, watches a lot of League Two football, uh, who's your favourite team to watch so far this season? Who do you look forward to watching the most? I'm still waiting for them to truly kick on, but the potential of this Plymouth team really, really excites me. They're managed by Ryan Lowe, who obviously took Berry up last year with a really good brand of attacking football. And I believe, personally, he's got an even better squad here. It's obviously well known that there's a good few of his Berry players that moved down to Devon with him, the likes of Will Ameson, Callum McFadgen, Dominic Telford, Byron Moore, but the standard one has to be Danny Mayer. Yeah. He, for me, was the best player in the entire division last year, and you can understand why Plymouth fans are very happy to have him at that club. And I've got no doubt he's going to flourish again. Ryan Lowe's got those Pilgrims playing a very fluid 3-5-2 formation currently, and it's a great mixture of experienced heads that are teaching promising youngsters. You've got the likes of Gary Sawyer and Noy Niall Canavan uh, helping Chelsea loan Joshua Grant into the fence. Adam Randall is already looking being compared to a young Joe Edwards at just 18 years old. And up top, you've got Rangers loanee Zach Rudden, who should have a great spell at Plymouth, learning not only off Ryan Lowe himself, who was a striker in his playing days, but also the likes of Telford, Moore and Ryan Taylor. Mm. I've got Plymouth tipped for promotion at the start of the season, and I still fancy them to that top three finish. Okay. We're still early in the campaign. And um, in terms of players, we asked Ollie this. It's not always easy, but I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, an <laughs> underrated player and an overrated player, if you may. Right, they're underrated. It's a personal one of mine. I'm not sure whether people will really know a lot about him. His side aren't currently at the very top of the division, so he probably won't get a lot of credit. But it's another Crawley Town player, and it's um, Guinea-Bissau midfielder Panuche Kamara. Mm. His underlying stats don't really showcase what he's that good at. He's not amongst the goals. But his athletic build makes him excellent at winning that ball in midfield and carrying up the pitch towards the final third. Mm. And he's one of those that will be in that starting eleven if you know he's there. He's only 22, very underrated footballer, and one that most people probably don't notice when you watch him play because he isn't involved at either end of the pitch. Certainly, Labala getting the plaudits there, but Kamara yeah. uh, getting better each each year as well. Absolutely. What about an overrated player? I think it's. Quite harsh to call a player overrated after seven games, to be honest. I agree, um, but you know, we, we want to we want to make some some headlines here. <laughs> yeah, from a team perspective, I've been hoping more from Walsall and the strikers. 
you've got Keenan Lavery, Elijah Adebayo, Josh Gordon, and Rory Gaffney who's recently joined on loan from Salford, and they've struggled for the goals between them, and it's pretty much impossible to tell at the moment who their first choice options are out of those four in Dower Clark's side. Clark himself has been under a bit of scrutiny recently as well, and I can understand the concerns of Sadler's fans as they are closer to the bottom than they would ever like to currently be and should be aiming a lot higher. Absolutely. And what else have I got to ask you? Yeah, uh, you probably have to be across managers' interviews if you're, you're looking for team news before games. Who's the best interview in League Two? Who's the most <laughs> quotable manager? It's been interesting following Laura Benitez so far for Oldham. Uh, he came without any experience of English football beforehand. Uh, he has worked in Monaco, which is certainly not a bad club to work with, of course. But his senior management roles don't stretch out of the Middle East. He's got a very tough challenge with Oldham, particularly regarding the transfer business, because it isn't him that chooses who comes into the club. Mm. That's not his decision. It's made through the sporting director. And so in some ways, he's got to cope with whatever comes through the door. Um, there have been some decent players who come through, though. I really like David Wheater. I think he's a fantastic sign for any club at this level. And he has shown that so far with a goal at the weekend as well in a draw with Plymouth. Felipe Moraes back at the club after the loan on Crawley. I think that's a great signing. And um, I'm very keen to see how Desiri Segbeer Zankpo, who's got one of the best names in football, by the way, <laughs> gets on that top for them, definitely. So they're a team that's going to be interesting to watch with him there. And finally, what's been the best goal you've seen in League 2 this season? I'm going to have to go back to Stevenage, to be honest. They've been they've obviously lacked the goal so far, but mm. I'd probably say that one of theirs is actually the best one in the entire division so far. And it's Luther Wilding's goal against Macclesfield, which has obviously been circling around the media a lot recently. Mm. They've got a three kick close to the halfway line. It's played across to Wilding with time to set himself, and he's hit a shot from 35, 40 yards out, and yeah. it's absolutely flown right into the top corner. And if you haven't seen it yet, you need to go and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the slightly strange technique behind it. It looks like he's. Yeah. Doesn't look like he takes many long shots, but the connection's absolutely unbelievable. Um, well, Macclesfield's keeper doesn't stand a chance with it. No, he doesn't. Ed, really appreciate your time and for lending us your, your League Two expert eye. Thank you very much for that. Not a problem at all. Thank you very much. Uh, you can follow Ed on Twitter at FRFootballEd. Uh, and Ed is very much across all things League Two, all news, stats, uh, opinions, etc. A very, very good follow. So thank you. Thank you very much and uh, hope to speak to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much.